You know a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. And a dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes. Trying to learn from what's behind and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle just to stay between the shore. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I am Maxwell Ivey, known around the world as the blind blogger. And I want to welcome you to another episode of What's Your Excuse? Or I hope to help you overcome the excuses that are holding you back by sharing conversations with people who have overcome adversity, who have thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, who have struck out on their own and started unique businesses, or who I just happen to find personally interesting or inspiring. You can find the podcast at theblindblogger.net, theblindblogger.net. You can also find it at wyexcuse.com, along with the other shows on the What's Your Excuse podcast network. And you can tell Alexa or Google, hey, play What's Your Excuse? I hope you will check out our sponsors, Blueberry.com. They provide the podcast hosting and quite a bit of technical support to me, my podcast, and the What's Your Excuse Network, as well as Shredding for Gold, which you can hear on that platform. So Blueberry.com, if you're thinking of starting a podcast, or if you've been online for a while and you'd like uh, to have a smoother workflow to releasing your new episodes, you should really check them out at Blueberry. And while they're not a sponsor, I have personally benefited from using the products from Crystal Creek or- Organics as far as using them to treat my knee pain with, uh, with something that isn't prescription-based. So I hope you all will check out crystalcreekorganics.com. There will be an affiliate link. So I will receive a few cents here or there if y'all spend money with them. So today we have an unusual guest really for the podcast because it's only been in the last few months that I've been focusing more on people who have physical, mental, emotional challenges as opposed to really being more generalized. So today we're going to speak with Angus Baskerville, which is a really cool name for somebody from the UK, in my opinion. Uh, He is a professional magician from Warwickshire, England. He's been studying and performing magic for over eight years. He first fell in love with it while watching a show called Dynamo. Uh, He also has Asperger's and HD, and he credits magic with helping him with concentration, focus, and social skills. He performs at weddings, parties, and corporate events, and has performed at Autism Got Talent and Autism Heroes. And you can find Angus at angusbaskerville.com. So Angus, thank you so much, and welcome to What's Your Excuse? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. So I want to start with something basically because I know absolutely nothing about it other than what I've seen in television dramas. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to live with Asperger's and when you determined, when you discovered that you have this? Well, um, I've been showing symptoms of Asperger's syndrome and autism since I was three years old. But the problem was I grew up in South Africa And in South Africa, they're very behind in their knowledge of autism. And and as a result, I wasn't able to get formally diagnosed until I was 15 when I returned to the UK about um, 10, 11 years ago now. And um, in all honesty, it does make you feel very socially isolated. um, And, you know, it can, as a result, you can be very vulnerable to things like bullying. um, You know, you can be um, vulnerable to feeling left out isolated you can battle with social skills be very tactile defensive noise sensitive those are the sort of things that I struggled with but um at the end of the day if you think about it logically it um it can be a very generous gift as well I mean because you have plenty to give back and 
um, I know plenty of people on the spectrum who um, have been given a very powerful brain due to autism, which generally is like a really good photographic memory. I mean, I don't suppose um, any of you have heard of Steve, Stephen Wiltshire, but he's um, someone who's um, autistic, but he's um, he calls himself the human camera because he's very good at um, basically drawing pictures. He's really good with his art, but he's able to draw an entire town just for memory. And it's his autistic brain that's given him that. So um, I always t- I'd much more rather see it as a positive gift rather than negative. I mean, yes, it comes with its challenges, but there's always ways around it. And since I obviously got formally diagnosed, I was able to get access to good therapies um, that helped me with my sensitive sensitivity, helped me with my social skills and things like that. Um, because of course, when I when I was first when I first started showing symptoms, I was a lot more severe. But it's the therapies I had, such as such as occupational therapy on horseback, brushing, which helped with my sensitivity, and I improved since then. But since finding magic, obviously that's where my social skills began to get a lot better as well as as well as speech and language therapy. Right, you mentioned something there I've talked about with people before because I find it very helpful to me, or at least I used to before my 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 past. Uh, dog and mindfulness coach Miss Penny passed away is the value that you can receive from performing tasks like brushing a horse. I mean, uh, can you express some of how that helped you? Well, horses are very healing, basically, and they're very good at picking up on people's emotions. Because when I used to ride a horse, I'd, I'd come, I'd come, I'd go straight from school to horse riding, and I would, I'd be very stressed because school was a major challenge for me. And um, whenever I left school, I'd, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be feeling very stressed, very agitated, you know, after being picked on all, all day, after being, feeling so different to everyone else, being left out, etc. And um, when I went straight to horse riding, my nervous system completely calmed down. And it's because the horses are very, he- horses, like I said, are very healing, but also they pick up on your energy. Like if, if they can, if you're on top of them and you're really stressed, and agitated they will and um, they will pick up on that and that's when they'll start you know misbehaving like and as a result you could end up on the floor if they butt you off but when <laughs> but the minute you start to calm down they pick up on that and then they start carrying out the tasks correctly but in terms of brushing brushing is actually a technique that um i was given when i was young which basically which basically it's when they take a brush and they brush it all over you i mean it sounds a bit odd but basically it it's meant to make you feel less less sensitive because originally before I got given the brushing I was if people touched me I hated it I didn't like being touched but the brushing helped with that and it made me a lot more less tactile defensive and I first started I first started having the brushing treatment when I was in seven okay so the brushing treatment was something they did to you I'm sorry I was confused there for a minute so all right but 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 it, it helped decrease your tactile defensiveness it it almost sounds like what you go through or, or what you went through when it was more severe is kind of what women go through who have been sexually abused. The, yeah. you know, the, the difficulty with being touched. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, to be honest, you don't have to be autistic to be tactile defensive. I mean, I know, I, I know of people who aren't autistic, but don't like being touched. But, um, you know, it, it is a common trait of autism to be um, tactile offensive, you know, not not liking being touched and stuff like that. Right. And then do, do you also have difficulty with uh, with unusual smells or certain sound ranges? You, you could say that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lot more better now than I was, but there are there are, there are still certain sounds I'm sensitive to. And I mean, lots of loud noise. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of it, but I'm much better than I was. But this is another thing that magic helps with. But if I go back to when I was... Um, showing symptoms of autism before I was diagnosed yes things like um whenever my mum had things like the vacuum cleaner on or anything like that you know I'd shield my ears and I'd I'd get very agitated and and cross when there was lots of loud noise yeah the funny thing is is there's research that says everybody is more strongly affected by sounds noise and scents than they are by sights or words it's just that for it seems to me that for some reason, somebody who is on the autism spectrum, it becomes more of a it becomes more of a of a more about the autism than it does about just being a person. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're I understand what you're saying. I mean, I don't rem- I don't personally remember certain like things and um, words etc. affecting me. It was always um, smells and um, certain senses which I was more sensitive to um, back in the day. 
Right, right. So, uh, so how did you find uh, magic? Was this television show the first time you were exposed to it, or did they do something on that show that captivated you in a way you hadn't before? Well, I was always interested um, in magic, and I was exposed to it all through my life. Like I, I used to go to um, when I used to go to birthday parties that had um, magicians there. And also I was bought the odd kids magic set for Christmas, etc. So I was interested in it, in it and I was showed these magic tricks by these boys, which I really enjoyed. And I went up when I started showing them to people. So I so my interest was slowly getting there from it. But it wasn't until I, I saw Dynamo on TV, which really which really got me interested and really triggered it. And that's where that's where I really um, started taking it seriously and decided decided I wanted to learn it from that point. Okay, and what are some of the things you've done as far as training yourself to perform magic? Um, let's talk about tricks, and then let's talk about performance, if you can break it into two parts for me. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of tricks, I started off, like all magicians, with just cards. I, mean, I did basic card tricks. And then um, my parents, for Christmas, when I first started getting really interested in it, my parents, for Christmas, bought me this beginner's magic course at Davenport's in London. And that's where I learned like beginners sort of tricks. And it wasn't just cards. It was other things like sponge balls, coins, et cetera. And um, over time, I started experimenting with things like rings, ropes, bits. It wasn't until I'd been doing magic for about four years when I started getting really interested in the mentalism sort of things. And my unique selling point now is definitely mentalism, which is basically reading people's minds. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm on stage, um, I always do mind reading, which is definitely my um, special interest in terms of magic. Okay. All right. Well, now, you know, um, you're, you're speaking with a gentleman whose family background is carnivals, sideshows, traveling amusement attractions. So um, it, try to help me to the point where maybe I'll lose a little bit of my skepticism when it comes to mind reading. Maybe, maybe try to help me understand how that, how that, how that works. Well, they, well, what it is, is when you get, uh... Um, it's either predicting the outcome, like you ask someone to um, think of a number and then you ask them to look at you, think of the number, and then you read their mind, tell them what the number is, or you get them to like um, carry out a game or something, then you can predict who won the game. So it's either predicting the future. There's a bit of, hip, um, there's a bit of hypnotism where you hypnotize people into doing things um, on, um, on um, what's it? Um, basically, you hypnotize people um, into doing something. Or other than that, it's actually um, predicting the outcome. Predicting the outcome. Yeah, I was once told that a good magician can induce people to do the things they want you to do in order to perform the trick. Well, that's hypnotism. And I do a bit of hypnotism in my mind reading shows. But generally, it's um, asking people to think of something, whether that's a word from a book or a playing card or a name or anything. and And I read their mind and tell them what they're thinking. Or it's um, predicting the outcome. I see. And, you know, given that some of this is hypnotism and some of this is probably practice and, and intuition, what is, your, what is your success rate as far as predicting these, these people that you meet during your performance? Well, um, I've never really, um, apart from the only time I've really um, had problems when performing mentalism on stage is when people... Um, people either haven't read things right or something like that like people have read the wrong thing and that that sort of thing but in terms of predicting the outcome as part of my act I don't remember ever fouling anything like that up before I see kind of like as long as they're willing to go where you're pointing them to go and they understand the the signs along the roadway and get to the place you want them to get to you're okay is that what what I'm hearing I guess so. I mean, when, when you know what you're doing and you carry out the right task and you obviously you've practiced it long enough, then yeah, the chances of it going wrong are very slim. Okay. All right. But, I mean, the tr- your chances, if you don't, if you don't put a lot of it into practice, you don't practice it correctly and things like that beforehand, before you go out and perform on stage, then yeah, the chances are you could well mess it up. I see. Besides the mentalism, what are some of the, some of the favorite tricks that you perform? I like performing. I like card tricks. I do. Um, I do a lot of tricks with cards. I also like coins and Rubik's cubes. I've been doing a lot of Rubik's cube work lately. I also like trim tricks with ropes. I, I do tricks with people's rings and stuff like that. But whenever I'm performing at a gig nowadays, it's cards, coins, ropes, rings, and um, Rubik's cubes, and then obviously mentalism. Right. That's curious. What do you do? What do you do with a Rubik's cube? 
it's tricks like where you know you can predict so what color someone's going to choose i mean a lot of it links in with mentalism but it's stuff where you know um, various rubik's, rubik's cube slides like you shake the cube and it solves or um you get someone to think of a color you solve um you only solve that color of the cube and okay. you know you get you you also another thing as well is where you have two rubik's cubes you mix one the spectator mixes the other then the cubes match that that sort oh. of thing okay all right and so uh you've been performing f- some of these things for four years now or so is that correct yeah well i've been studying right. magic for around eight years but i've been um it's been my running business for around six right and the magic helps you with your asperger's but does your autism does it does it give you any type of an advantage when performing magic well um I guess, I guess so. I mean, um, what it is about um, my Asperger's get what how it really helps me really is I can weave a lot of it into my pattern, and I'm certain stuff I can learn quick. I can learn quicker, and I, I feel it has helped me take it to the advantage. But it's more to the point that before I got into magic, um, I was very noise sensitive, and I couldn't socialize, and I was very I struggled with concentration, focus. But since getting into magic that obviously encouraged me to socialize more because I had to ask people if they wanted to see a trick I had to socialize with them when performing to them and my my social skills um got better as a result and also since performing magic I've been going into pubs and performing going into restaurants where there's been a lot of noise and gradually I got better at being less noise sensitive noise sensitive due to that and as well as concentration focus obviously I had to concentrate and focus when learning a trick and I could spend hours perfecting it. And once again, that also improved my concentration and focus. But in terms of how mass focus helps my magic, um, I, feel it's, um, I feel it's enabled me to be very creative with my, with my ideas of creating new effects, perfecting new tricks, putting together stage material. I feel that if it weren't for my Asperger's, I wouldn't be as creative with that. And then also in terms of remembering things during a show, um, I also think my Asperger's has given me a great advantage with, um, with that as well. So that's how I feel it's benefited benefited me the most right well that's the kind of thing i like to get to is uh is finding you know is finding the positives in you know in in some of the things that we have to live with so and the second part of that question is is and you already answered part of it when you talked about having to be able to socialize with individuals and going into restaurants and other places that are noisy but how about performing on the stage at a big event like this autism got talent or autism heroes week i mean uh how is that how's that been for you as far as being in front of hundreds or thousands of people maybe well um it's a good it's a really good question when i first started the first time i ever performed on stage was actually was actually at my school talent contest and that was basically that was basically when i first started learning because when i first started sixth form i was at boarding school for a week and um i was basically at weekly boarding school and that that's when i first started um that was when I first started learning magic. I hadn't, I hadn't turned it into a business yet, but I was perfecting a lot of my tricks on the borders and I was put forward for the school talent competition. And that obviously involved performing on stage in front of the whole school. And I'm not going to lie. I was very nervous about it, (laughs) but um, I ended up coming first place having put a lot of practice into my act. And when I went on to autism, got talent, which was about a year, a year and a bit later. Yeah. Two, two years later, I was a lot less nervous having practice and got more experience. So in terms of performing on stage in front of many people, I do still get nervous because from what, I'm, from what I've come, from what I've come to realize, you can rehearse your act a thousand times to the point where you literally know it forwards, backwards, sideways. You've got no problem not remembering anything at all. But when you're on stage actually doing it, it's a completely different feeling. And I do still get nervous, but I don't get anywhere near as, anywhere near as nervous as I used to because I've gained a lot of confidence having lot having had lots of experience from doing it and obviously if um, I'm sorry if I'm if I'm piecing myself here but when I first started doing stage work I I did get very incredibly nervous over it but um, having but like I said having had more experience of doing more and more stage work I've gained confidence and I don't get anywhere near as nervous as I used to. All right do you have any uh techniques or routines or rituals that you use to help you as far as the nerves on the big stages well what I tend to do I mean I, I, I meditate and um, the morning before a, um, a stage so I do meditations which help and um I just I just make sure I run through my act as often as possible so I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm whatever trick I'm doing on stage I make I make sure I completely know how to do it for um frontwards and backwards if you if you know what I'm saying 
it, I'd right. never do a, I'd never do a trip which I've only just learned on stage. Um, after, um, I'd make sure I, I, I know it really, really well. And obviously that helps with, with nerves. But in general, I, I just make sure I prepare myself beforehand. I make sure I put plenty of practice into a trip before I go out, go out and do it on stage. And, um, and that, that, that helps me get a lot less nervous. Right. And I, I would imagine it helps if you have the opportunity to actually uh, rehearse on the stage you're going to be performing on where possible. Well, that's what I do, basically. I mean, since when it when it comes to learning, you're going to kind of imagine like you're actually in the moment. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter how much you rehearse it, like I said earlier, when you're doing it in the actual moments, when you're actually doing it, it is going to be, always be a different feeling. But if you do it on the stage, you do it um, fully dressed up as if you're actually doing it, then obviously that's going to put, um, give you a lot more confidence. But I have, to, I have noticed that even when I haven't um, rehearsed my act, you know, dressed the same exactly like I would have done if it was um, in the if it was for real. You know, I've still I've still gained confidence from it. So my personal best um, the best way I can describe it is in order to um, reduce nerves when it comes to performing on stage. Obviously, everyone's different, but when it comes to reducing nerves, you just got to put a lot of practice in and prepare prepare yourself beforehand because if you know you put the effort in, the chances are you're you're definitely going to smash it. Yeah. So. Um what what events do you have do you have any big events coming up this year that you're going to be performing at um well i've um, been in contact with a load of venues which i'm thinking of hiring out to do my own one-man show which i'm definitely going to put into action and um, this year so so it's basically it's my own one-man show which i'm hoping to do a lot of um this year at various different events and I would have done um, I would have done Bentner Fringe Festival and um, this year, but um, it looks like it's not happening now. But I'm definitely going to do this and Edinburgh Fringe next year, um, hopefully. So that's the best I can describe. And other than that, it's basically stage competitions at various magic clubs in the main magic circle, which I'm part of. Right. Well, uh, one thing I'm kind of known for is asking questions of my guests because I'm personally curious about it. So. You've been talking about uh, doing your own one-man show and booking locations. So what is involved in creating your own show? And what are what is some advice you could give to somebody who's looking at booking their own uh, show into local uh, venues uh, as far as, you know, organizing the show, booking the show, deciding where you want to place the show, those sorts of things? Yeah, well, well, if you're a beginner and if you've not got like tons of spirit, experience doing it, I'd definitely recommend getting um, someone to help you. And um, obviously, um, first you got to build the re- build the relationship with the venue. With the venue, you know, make sure, you know if you know the person who runs it, you know that's already a bonus. Um, so build the relationship with them, and obviously offer your services as generous as you can. Like maybe off- offer you can either offer to pay the venue's fees um, outright, and obviously to do your show. Otherwise, you can offer to that. Um, to have the venue free for them to let the venue for them to let you have the venue free. And then they, they get 50% of all your ticket sales, try and be as generous with them as can, as you can. And then once you've obviously got the venue booked and sorted, which generally works best if you've built a relationship with the venue beforehand. And then obviously you've got to then put your show into action and obviously um, set up your, set up your event, do event rights and advertise it on all your social media and obviously get other people to um, advertise it for you as well. And I'll make make your own offers as well, like maybe do competitions where people can win a free ticket. Try and be in as be as generous as be as generous with it as you can, but um, but tend I tend not to be too pushy with it. <laughs> and like I said at the beginning, if you build the relationship with the venue first, the venue might help you um, help advertise your show because um, as long as they can benefit fit from it as well, then they'll be obviously eager to push your show for you. And and um, obviously also, as I said in the beginning, I'd get help, get help setting it all up beforehand when you, when you're new to it. And gradually as you get better and better with more expense, you'll be able to do it on your own. I see. And when you're talking about building a relationship with the venue uh, owner or manager, where does that start? Well, start by connecting with them on something like LinkedIn, having conversations with them. And obviously if, if it's like a restaurant you're going to that have a stage or something, um, start by being a regular customer there, going and, um, talk to them talk to the manager show them what you do and things like that and once once that you know that they know you they like you and and they see you as a good customer then obviously you've definitely got a head start and that you can go from there so go to the venue frequently and that acts and obviously goes if you're a raving fan of that venue 
I mean, this is generally more relevant to things like pubs and restaurants that have various areas where you could do it. And um, go as a normal, regular customer, and they know that they're getting um, they're getting a lot out of you because you're going there as a regular. And obviously, that that that's usually where you start. And one more thing I forgot to mention about doing your actual show. Obviously, you also got to factor in all the things that are involved in it, such as, you know, whether that's stage lighting, stage music, um, things like that. It's all stuff to factor in. But um, talking about get, building a relationship first and go to the venue regularly as a, just a normal customer. Start from there and then obviously gradually get make sure they get to know you. They know what you do. They see you as a nice person. That And then, and then obviously you go from there. Okay. So if I understand you correctly, it's no different building a relationship with a venue owner is no different than when I build relationships with podcast hosts or magazine uh, editors, because I start by connecting with them on a prof- on the professional site like LinkedIn. Yeah. I usually share their content and let other people know they should go visit the website or the social media page. I eventually send them a direct message or maybe they decide to reach out and send me a direct message and we have a conversation and get to like each other. And then uh, when I have an opportunity that's good for both of us. I reach out and I say, I say, you know, hey, you should have so and you should write an article about so and so for your magazine. So it's the same process. It just yeah. seems a little different because you, you know, it's it's going to be in person. It's going to have a bigger impact. Yeah, plus, plus, there's more money involved. You know. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I'd say um, a bit different to that. Yes, it makes 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 a lot of sense what you're saying. Um, the only thing that I'd say is a bit different is um, sometimes it's slightly better if you don't get, if you don't literally jump straight into offering your services. It's better to build a relationship with them first. I mean, I've learned this. I've learned this from like other other people who've helped me with my business along the way, and um, that's basically um, that's basically the um, point they've made is that when you try and throw yourself into it so quickly and basically immediately jump into offering their services when you when they don't even know you. And if you build a relationship, if you build a small relationship with them first, and um, that that usually works out better. Right. But that's only right. my opinion. No, I agree with you. I, I must have I must have skipped a step when I was re when I was putting it in my own words because I like to make sure I'm understanding what the guest is saying. So I'm, I'm I missed a step step. But you're right. You know, yeah. you don't want to jump right into asking for things. But yeah, but I mean, it, is, learned- it is similar. It just it's one of those things where it, it's only different because people tell themselves, excuse me, I have told myself it's different in my own mind and that makes it different. The, the process yeah. is the same. And that's. I mean, it's perfectly normal when you first start to, you know, be very, be very pushy with your services. But of course, that's where you get the help from other people because I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I first started um, doing magic, you know, I was, I was obviously quite pushy with people and, you know, didn't know an awful lot about build, building a relationship first. But, you know, when you get when you ask for help um, and get the help from the correct people, when you want to grow your business further, you know, they, they'd all say that you want to that you want to build a relationship with people first. OK, now, the good thing here is that you have answered a question. I've been looking for an answer for a while. The bad thing is, is you have now removed one of the excuses I've been telling I've been using for myself as far as not doing in person an in-person event that I've been talking about doing for a while. I, um, I sing, I've written one song so far. I usually do other people's music, but I also tell stories and teach life lessons. And I've been talking about doing a presentation for a long time now called music and motivation. And I've done it online, but I have yet to do it in person. And mainly it's this roadblock in my head as far as how to go about making the connection to book that first venue that has really been a, a big problem for me. So I want to thank you for, for helping me understand it. And I'm, I am serious that it, it's really one of those cases where I should have been able to see this for myself, but I had it in my mind that there was a difference between uh, booking a venue as opposed to booking an appearance online. And there really isn't a difference. I was just telling myself yeah. there was a difference. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it, it sometimes depends on what you're pitching for. I mean, if if you're actually pitching to, you know, use their services in their business, um, which is their business, you're reaching right. out to them asking for their services. I mean, yes, if you build a relationship with them first, you know, the chance are a lot more is going to come of it. But I mean, right. it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the case with everything. I mean, if it's their services that you want, then you can obviously go and ask for their services straight straight away. Well, that's true. If, if you understand what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. That is that is one <laughs> difference. If 
if you have the budget, you can always just go hire the venue. That is a little different, but that's that's not my situation because I don't I don't have a facility to write a check for 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 anything like that. But I will tell you this much: when I think about my ideal venue here in Texas, and this, and I don't know if you've heard about them or not. They've kind of gotten a pretty they've gotten kind of gotten a pretty pretty good name even outside the states. When I think of here in Texas, I think of the Alamo Draft House for some reason. That's okay. like the name that's stuck in that's stuck in the back of my brain. So uh, I guess I'll be I guess I'll be hunting some of those folks up on on LinkedIn and starting the process. So all right, so uh, people, I'm sitting here talking with Angus Baskerville. He is a professional magician. Uh, he also uh, lives with Asperger's and ADHD. And he wants to do more in the area of advocating in the for people in the autism spectrum. He really wants to help more young people find their passion and help them go after their dreams. And you can find him at AngusBaskerville.com. So you mentioned one thing in the course of my uh, of our last little bit here about asking for help. Now, I speak about asking for help a lot. It's still something most people have trouble with. So would you talk a little bit about how you are able to ask for help, whether it's your uh, your work as a magician or whether it's just, you know, your daily life stuff? How did you how do you get to the point where you're able to talk about asking for help? And it sounds so natural to me. Well, um, when I had speech and language therapy, that helps with, um, you know, being able to generate conversation at the same time. It, it enabled me to ask for help when I need it. I mean, I've always been open. I've always been open and honest about my feelings with people like my parents, et cetera, people I can trust. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the saying, if you don't ask, you don't get, if I found something that I was really struggling with, I'd speak to them about it and they, and they've been able to get help. But as long as you reach out to people, you can trust. And the one thing I'd urge literally anyone to do who's, you know, struggling or needs help, whether that's with their business or whether that's with their emotional challenges, et cetera. And it's not just with Asperger's, it's with, with, with anything, whether it's just mental health or depression, anxiety. Um, reach out to people you trust and always be open and honest with your feelings because then you know you will get the help ASAP and um, as long as you ask the right people as long as you're honest and you know you uh, ask what you desperately need rather than keeping all to yourself then you know you will you will get the help you need one way or another right right well here on here on what's your excuse we say that if you don't ask they can't say yes that's one of the local expressions here on what's your excuse so uh, I personally think that growing up knowing I was going to eventually lose my vision that I was trained to ask for help. So it's not as big a emotional problem for me to ask other people for help, but I have. So I was wondering, do you think that um, your Asperger's ADHD, do you think the way your, your parents dealt with you may have made you more willing and more able to ask for help than the average person? Definitely very much so. Definitely very much so. I mean, um, in retrospect, reality, I um, I wouldn't ever play the victim about being autistic because I see it as very, as very, as very much a gift. I mean, yes, it comes with its challenges, but we're all unique. Like we're just, but like I said, we're all unique, like everyone. And the only difference is it's a wiring, a different wiring of the brain that can be just as beneficial, if not more beneficial, than challenging. And um, as long as you deal with it at the very roots. Um, which obviously involves therapies that work on the neurology. And as long as you tackle it as early as possible and put your absolute heart and soul into it, then, you know, good will always come from it. And how my parents dealt with it from the very beginning. I mean, yes, I wasn't able to get diagnosed, but they were able to get the therapy and they were able to get the right therapies for me. As long as, um, and that definitely did play a big difference because I was a lot more severe when I was, when I was first showing symptoms. And if it hadn't been for all the therapies um, they'd given me, like, like occupational therapy, which I mentioned earlier, if it hadn't been for the therapies and if it hadn't been for them noting it and taking it into action straight away, then I'd, then, you know, I'd still be re- really severe. Okay. So, but, you yeah. know, like, like I said, it's just, like I said, it's just who you are. It's a different wiring of the brain and you got to try and see the, you got to see the benefits of it. Right. So while we agree there are benefits to pretty much any of our challenges, whether it's something that the world considers a disability or not, that, you you do kind of agree with me that uh, the way d- dealing with your uh, with your your mental issues has made you more willing to ask for help. Yeah, 
definitely. I mean, I've always been happy talking about my problems, but I've come across loads of people, some on the spectrum, some just neurotypicals with mental health who aren't open and honest about their feelings. And that's something I really want to encourage people to be more. I want to encourage people to be open and honest about their feelings because that can that can not only just help people improve, but it can help save people's lives as well. Because, I mean, the last thing anyone wants is for it, for it to get the worst of people. If, if you if you understand what I'm getting to here. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. And that's the thing, even though we've we've had so many people share more openly over the last five or 10 years, there is still a large part of the population that is happy just showing the world the superficial side of themselves, the 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 positivity on Facebook or Twitter or other social media networks is all they show to the world, even though more and more there is a there's a market for it. You know, as I like to tell people, honesty is attractive. So it's, it's funny how we still have so many people that are afraid to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, I tend to use this a lot um, in certain talks because I also do talks about autism awareness. And um, I always tend to use the quote from Winnie the Pooh. And, you know, I could relate that to anything, whether it involves asking for help or whether it involves, you know, thriving to improve um, your skills, improving your, challenges etc you are braver than you believe stronger than you seem and smarter than you think it's all it's always possible hmm. i will have to find that one that's a good one right there i have to go find it on the line and write it down that's a good one uh, and i imagine it's probably one of those where people maybe quote part of it but not all of it which is pretty common yeah so what is some of the, you know, I, I know that you want to help other uh, young people. So what, is, what are some of the things you're trying to do as far as helping other people on the autism spectrum? Well, um, obviously, I'm planning on um, setting up my own um, workshops where people can obviously come talk about their problems and um, where I can teach them magic. That's also um, something I'd like to do. And also teach them mindfulness techniques like breathing, meditations, etc., all of which can calm people down, reduce anxiety. And the main goal is obviously, like I said earlier, to encourage people to always be open and honest about their feelings, because that's that that, in my opinion, is the key to improvement. Because a lot of it nowadays, the reason it's escalated so much, whether that's mental health or people's um, issues, etc., and regardless of whether you're autistic, one one of it's only my opinion, but the reason I think it escalates the most in some people is because they haven't asked for help because they've kept it all to themselves. And that's basically something I'm definitely willing to do, as well as obviously thriving my magic business, et cetera, but also raise a lot of awareness for awareness for autism. I see. Do you, uh, you think you'll ever do a, a book or possibly do a video workshop so people can see it? Uh out there in their own living rooms or definitely yeah it's definitely something in the pipeline and i'm hoping to do it hoping to do it soon yes okay it's encouraging um have you been uh journaling or is that something you've you've done in the past as far as i have journal i do i do journal yes and i mean once again it's another technique which i would recommend which i would recommend for people who you know are struggling etc you know journal your thoughts get it out from get which i see is getting it out of your head and onto paper yeah, and that's one of the you know good things about uh, people who have started blogs. Many of them uh, have found themselves being able to uh, not only not only uh, help themselves but also help other people by sharing their thoughts. So, but a journal is a great way to is a great way, especially if maybe someday you're going to do a book. You know, but uh, uh, do you? How often do you look back at your journals and? Um. I mean, I guess when I when I pick up my journal, I mean, I, ca- I occasionally look back, and it's a, it's another um, you know you can track your improvement. I can track my improvement. That's another reason for journaling. You can track how you've improved. But I mean, I'd say I look at it once a month. Mate. I look back at all past and memories once a month. Okay, which makes me think of something else. Um, a lot of people, when they look back at their memories, they tend to know they tend to pay more attention to the to the bad memories than the good ones. And some people even get trapped in the, in their, their past bad memories. Uh, Any thoughts about that? Well, I mean, it's easily done. I mean, nowadays when it comes to um, 
I mean, you could be doing so many things right, be proud of yourself in many ways, but it's, but nowadays it's easy to get caught up on the one thing you notice you're doing wrong rather than focusing <laughs> on all the positives. It, it, it is easily done, but the more you focus on the positives and forget about the bad stuff, the more you know you'll improve and the quicker the negatives will go away. I mean, it's like I said, it's very, it's very easy to um, only notice the negatives and forget about all the positives. But, um, you know, it's not worth dwelling on the negatives because then they'll escalate more. It's better to just focus on what's going right. I mean, yes, sometimes the odd negative is something that needs putting up on, but the quickie, but rather than dwelling on it, you know, and, and focusing on what's going right and not letting, not letting it bring you down, the quicker, be, the quicker it can be solved. But in terms of looking back at past memories, which, you know, obviously really dark and, you know, can easily change your mood. It's best to stay as far away from them as possible. It's the best. It's the best I can say about that at the moment. Okay. So are there any parts of your journal you've ever considered just, you know, ripping those pages out so you don't go back to them? I mean, yes, there have been. But a lot of a lot of the time when it's come to journaling things um, for me that are obviously bad, if I'm feeling anxious or anything like that, I'd write down my thoughts onto pieces of paper and um yes I sometimes would let my parents or someone see them and um, in order to encourage them so that so that they can understand me from a better point of view but once I've written it all the negatives that have been based as I mentioned earlier getting it out of my head onto paper I've um I have literally thrown it away straight away because you want you want to literally be rid of it because if if you obviously have it lurking around the chance are it is going to be tempting to go back to it whereas if you completely get rid of it then obviously you can't go back to it I see. So by putting it down on paper for you, that's like getting rid of it. It's like throwing it away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you'd rather, because if, like... really, if it's really affecting your mood, if it's really affecting you while it's stuck in your head, it's better to get it out of your head onto paper. I mean, I know it's easier said than done for some people. It's not as easy for some people as it is for others. But if you'd rather it be on paper than in your head. And then, of course, once you've got it out of paper, onto paper, you can get rid of it. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm sure you've heard that uh, most people that are creative people, that are writers, uh, musicians, poets, when they have those bad negative feelings, they generally put them down on paper and and off. And some, sometimes those end up being some of their best works. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, by all means, it works for some people. I mean, everyone's different. I mean, I wouldn't encourage, I wouldn't um, change anyone's, opinion anyone's habits that work for them sometimes it is good to keep the bad memories because it allows because it allow it allows you to look back at it and then notice where you've improved it's just as just as long as you know you're not gonna um it's not gonna bring back bad memories it's gonna affect your mood if you look back look back at it but obviously um it's different everyone's different right right now um so you're wanting to do workshops and and teach magic and and do magic uh, are there any uh, organizations or programs you're involved in as far as helping uh, people who are just discovering that they're on the autism spectrum? Well, there's, chari- there's charities which I'm involved in wh- where um, I give talks about to parents of newly diagnosed children. And, um, and that, the, one, the one I'm involved in, which I've got a conference um, coming up soon, actually, where I'm giving a talk, is um, called Act, Act for Autism. As an ACT? Yeah, ACT Act for Autism. And then other than that, I've been a supporter of Autism's Got Talent, which is um, Autism Awareness, Autism Hero Awards, Autism's Got Talent, which is hosted by Anna Kennedy. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with her name. Anna Kennedy is the one, um, is a woman who's basically, she's got two um, autistic children, one of whom is um, in in his late 20s and is nonverbal. And she runs the show Autism's Got Talent, which um, is why I first took part in in 2016. But the other charity, which I just mentioned, was Act for Autism, and that's run by someone called Tessa Morton. Okay. All right. Now, uh, before we before we started, and it didn't occur to me at the time, but I will explain this in a minute here. Before we started, you offered to do a magic trick for me during our conversation and I don't know why it didn't occur to me at the time, but, you know, I think it's interesting that you didn't think a second thing about volunteering to do a magic trick for a blind guy. I, I love that. I think that is so cool. And we're like, no, nah, I'm not going to offer to do a trick. So, I mean, I'm sure you were thinking he's got people that are going to watch this video or that are going to hear my patter. And they will enjoy it. But I think it was cool that you didn't 
you didn't you didn't didn't worry about you know how's this going to sound if I do this, and it just didn't occur to me until we were talking. So I hope you will take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, I do. I do take it. Um, I do take it as a compliment. I mean, I, it was only if it was only if it worked. It was only if it was best for you um, and that sort of thing. <laughs> I see. So what uh, what kind of trick were you? Did you have in mind to do? Well, um, I basically had a trick which um, which I can only really which works on Zoom, where okay. um, um, it's basically a prediction sort of effect using a pack of cards. Okay. And so how it works is basically I've got one deck. Um, I mean, I understand it's a bit difficult, and um, you know, I, I do. Please do accept my sincere apologies. Um, to obviously do it, um, do it to you. Um, it's all no, right. We're good. No offense. But I've got one playing card inside this pack that's reversed, and um, I want you to literally name any playing card for me to see, basically see if you can guess what that card is. Uh, I would say the uh, seven of clubs. Seven of clubs. You sure? Yeah, that's weird because the card I because um, the card inside this pack that's reversed is the seven of clubs. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I can prove it because if I take these cards out of the deck, okay, I've got the jokers here. As right. I spread through, if I spread through, there's one card, but only one in the entire pack that's reversed. Here it is. It's right here, and it is the seven of clubs. I promise you, it's the seven of clubs. Well, I'm sure that we will we will find out the answer to that when this goes live. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we will we will find out for sure. But I I I have no doubt that it that it is the seven of clubs, uh, mainly because we know that you only perform tricks that you have practiced. And as I was sitting here and you told me to pick a card, I actually changed the, the card I was going to pick two or three times before I settled on that particular one. So. I I so I I I would applaud you, but it would you know uh, I I I think it's I think it's cool that you have uh, basically developed a trick that you can do on Zoom, knowing that at least for a little while longer that's the that's the way you have to be able to demonstrate your skills as far as you know reaching out with potential venues or to potential to people who may want to hire you for future events. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, during lockdown and that sort of thing, I had to take my magic on Zoom. I see. And have you performed many of your other tricks on Zoom or on YouTube? Yeah, no, I've, um, I have performed a variety. I have done a variety of Zoom shows where I've done tricks and I have done stuff on YouTube, yeah. All right, well, we'll have to make sure that we have a link to your YouTube channel so people can see some of those tricks. Yeah. Or- it's the same as my Facebook page. It's just Angus Baskerville Magic and my YouTube. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the trick. So, and I, I think it shows that you're a good businessman because even now there are still people who, rather than embracing virtual, are still com- complaining about it and bemoaning it and uh, w- wishing and pining for things to go back to the way they used to be. So, yeah. I mean, one more thing. Yeah, I mean, one more thing I thought I should mention at least about obviously and um, what I'm encouraging people to do, as well as obviously um be open and honest about their feelings. Another thing I'm destined to help people, particularly those on the spectrum, as those are the people I've been working with, um help people help them do is obviously find their passion and embrace it. Because when you find your passion and embrace it, you know, your self-esteem improves as well, which is another big benefit that magic brought to me. It improves your self-esteem and obviously, you know, um, opportunities that can come from it are absolutely endless. Right. So and I, I know that, you know, all people on the spectrum are individuals, but in general, are there certain professions that uh, people are encouraged to go into or warned against going into? No, I mean, everyone has their own passion and, and special interest and people on the spectrum, are, um, how, however well gifted they are, if, if their awesome gift um, can help them learn really quickly, you know, they've got, they've got a big head start, to, um, you know, go a variety of different places with it. And um, as, long, as long as it's your special interest, you know, you could, do what, you could do whatever you like with it. I mean, yes, some autistic people... Um, particularly the ones who are really severe have certain special interests which 
you know, maybe it's like maybe slightly harder to um, turn to a business. I mean, I, I wouldn't give any examples here because I wouldn't want to ever hurt. I wouldn't I would never want to hurt anyone by saying that. But, um, you know, um, as long as it's your special interest and, you know, you you're really passionate about it. You know, um, there is literally there should be absolutely no lim- no no limits at all whatsoever to it. Right. And what are, what is, uh, I was recently talking to a gentleman from Ohio, so I'd like to get your take because I know things are different in the UK. What has been your experience as far as uh, the services available to autistic people and to their parents? And what do, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? I mean, are, are, are there, are services widely available? Are they, uh, are they, what? What type invested, of services? Well, well, that that I don't know, but I mean, is there is there a good level of support? Is support yes. easy to get in the UK, or you know, is it Definitely. something you really have to fight for? No, no. In in the UK, I mean, obviously, um, I grew up in South Africa, and it's a lot harder in South Africa because they're behind of um, their knowledge. But um, I definitely noticed there's a hell of a lot more support here in the UK than there is in South Africa. You just got to find the right people, and obviously, when you find someone that you know understands your autistic child or or you. And, you know, you know, they understand you, you know, they've, um, you know, they've got the right support for you. You know, you've really got to embrace that and cling on, cling on to them because, you know, they can change, they can change you for the best. And that's what my parents did with me, which is why I've improved and um, which is why I've improved a lot. So, um, and I know, I know of loads of other autistic people as well who have found the right people and their parents have really jumped in, jumped at that. And it's helped, it's helped them improve a lot. So, yes, there is a great deal of support in the UK to help autistic people do things like obviously improve their prob- improve their challenges, go to social groups, make friends, get jobs. There's there's lots of support over here in the UK, and I'm, I'm very much, I'm very grateful of that. OK, and then I'm thinking that, you know, it's one thing to have a passion like you do with your magic and to develop the skills around it. But uh could you share something about what it's been like to turn magic into a business? Well, um, well obviously it's improved my self-esteem a lot. It's, it's proved to me that when you find your passion and you embrace it, you know, not only does it improve your self and self-esteem, but it, it opens a hell of a lot of opportunity to you. Cause to be honest, um, I have come to realize that autistic people can, can, can a lot of the time find it very difficult to break into employment and um, when I last looked at the statistics, I mean, it was um, a number of years ago now when I did a um, talk at a conference about um, autism and employment. There's only like there's only a small percentage. I think it's around 16 percent of autistic adults who are, who are in full time employment. And um, obviously, there's a reason there's a reason for that. Autistic people can find um, interviews really stressful. We, we can slip up in interviews. There are, um, and as a result, it can be hard to break into employment. But when you create your own self-employed opportunities, which is a technique I'd definitely recommend to a lot of autistic people, you know, you can um, go a variety of different places. And also you'd inspire loads of others to do the same thing. And um, as well as I appreciate there's loads of support in the UK to help autistic people get to jobs, get into jobs. But when you do it yourself by creating your own opportunities, you know, you've um, you've improved a lot. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that people are really interested in. And um, and that's the sort of, that's basically the sort of um, thing I'd say. And for me, turning magic into um, a business, you know, proves to me that you can achieve absolutely anything if you set your mind to it. But more to the point that, you know, don't just see yourself as someone on a spectrum. See yourself as a normal individual human who just who just has a differently wired brain. And that can be much more beneficial than challenging when you um, work, when you embrace it and look at the positives rather than dwelling on it. And um you know, I feel that, like I said earlier, my, I feel my artistic brain has given me a lot of creativity into creating opportunities with my magic. And it's helped me learn a lot quicker and develop it, develop, develop it into a business. And also it's opened up other doors as well to where, I'm, where I've been asked to do talks at conferences about helping other people find their passion and talk about how magic helped me. And, which, and overall, you know, help parents get the help for their children so they improve sooner rather than later. Because as... Um, like I said at the very beginning, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 15. And it did cause it did cause a lot of challenges going through my school childhood because nobody understood me. I suffered from bullying. Um ha- moved I moved schools 15 different times to try and find the right support. And um, my parents were obviously couldn't find the right support at any of the schools because the teachers wouldn't get me. And as obviously when your child gets diagnosed earlier, I do personally see that as a head start. But the sooner you help your child find your passion, um and really embrace that to you know help create help find them opportunities with it etc cetera, etc cetera, 
it can help them get into their business world and very well and that's the sort of thing that i've noticed since and turning my magic into a business if that makes sense yeah yeah i was just i was looking more of the uh i was looking more of the the nuts and bolts type stuff but i like what you did you know uh the magic the magic the magic well i mean like as far as uh as far as you know uh as far as finding bookings you know uh attracting the public speaking but but I like what I liked what you said because it, it um, really the magic, the fact that it's your passion, has led to all these other things without you really having to force them. Yeah, well, in, yeah, and I understand that. And, and in terms of finding bookings, it basically started. It, it started with me going into my local pub and performing to people, and then I was asked to go <laughs> in there regularly, just working for tips, just working for tips. And obviously, that's when I first started improve. That's when my sensitivity to noise first started improving because the pub was very noisy and I got my first wedding booking off that and um, I also got myself a business coach and um, that that's when I started um, investing in things like business cards website and from that um, it obviously my business grew and I started getting more and more bookings off the back of that so that's how that's how I started going from turning it into a business and make getting bookings and since I did Autism's Got Talent, that was when I, that was the first time I properly performed on stage in front of like a massive audience. And I've been um, I've been involved in a lot of um, work around um, that organisation since. So um, that's those are the sort of things that have um, grown my business, if if that makes right. sense. Oh yeah. So you found ways to show off your talents in small in small amounts, and then leverage that through word of mouth and referrals. And yeah. then eventually you were on the big stage. So, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what people needed to hear. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I've been enjoying my time talking with Angus Baskerville. Uh, he is a professional magician from Warwickshire, England. Uh, he's also lives with Asperger's and ADHD and, and living with it very well. I might add, dude, you're, you're an example of when I talk about people thriving in spite of difficult life circumstances. Uh, and you, people can find him at, uh, at AngusBaskerville.com. So Angus, before we finish, is there, you know, one or two thoughts you uh, that you would like to leave my audience with that they can take with them through the rest of the day? Well, um, I, be- I guess, obviously, thank you for inviting me, but the best advice I can give is, um, you know, different te- different quotes I've learnt that have helped that I've remembered and helped me take take your broken heart, turn it into art, and remember everything happens <laughs> for you, not to you, and any anything is possible. It's always the line I leave my talks with, and um, just realise that you know, bad news is good news in disguise. And when you when you push through it, you know, um, not only have you become an inspiration to other people, but you know, you you you've got the ability to help others as well. If that makes if that makes sense, that makes so sense. Good, good, yeah. luck, good luck to everyone listening. That makes sense. And while I, uh, I'm having, I'm having no trouble with your accent. I think it's lovely. I want to make sure people heard that one sentence there and, uh, clearly, which is turning your broken heart into your art. I, I really love taking, that. That's, taking your broken heart and turning it into art. Yeah. I love that. I think that's very important. And it's kind of like Robin Roberts who tells people to make their mess, their message, you know, um, so I really, really do appreciate it. And, you know, you, I, I thought I was through, okay, but I want to ask you one more question because I'm going to interview somebody next week who has a problem with this particular subject. So I want to get your take on it. Yeah. yeah. What is, how do you feel about inspiring other people and being called an inspiration? It's a really great feeling. And it just shows that, um, as I said earlier, bad news is good news in disguise everything happens for you not to you it just shows that when you have a challenge and you've worked through it during the time when you're working through that challenge during the time when you're suffering really badly from it you're probably thinking you know that the world was against you you're probably thinking you were really unlucky to be dealing with that but when you when you've pushed through it and um you know you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel it's made you realize that actually i'm very happy i dealt with that because if i hadn't have dealt with that if it was all easy I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to inspire people now and I, I say this when I'm doing talks and that sort of thing you know when I talk about how you know I was but I was bullied at school I moved schools 15 times school was a major challenge and it was literally one of my worst nightmares um you know um 
I look back at it now and actually see it was all it was all good news in disguise. It was all a blessing in disguise because if I hadn't have gone through all that, I wouldn't be able to inspire others now. So that's a good. So my opinion about being able to inspire others and and you know talking about challenges you've got is when you think when you're inspiring those people and actually helping others by talking about a problem you had, look back at it and realize that actually it was a, that actually it was a real blessing that. Yeah, if, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Hope, I hope I'm making sense there. Oh, you're making wonderful sense. I agree with you. Yeah. It's a pleasure and an honor to be able to have a story that will inspire others to uh, to be uplifted, to improve their lives, or even change their lives. So I, I totally agree with you. It made perfect sense. So, all right. Well, Angus, you've been a lovely guest. I want to thank you for coming on. What's your excuse? And I. Well, I wish you all the best with your with your magic and with the other work you're doing for for other people uh, learning how to live with their uh, their autism and other mental uh, challenges. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, so we had another great conversation today, this time with Angus Baskerville. Um, I find it really, really impressive that uh, he and his family, that um, they have done so well, but it really comes back to finding that passion. I have to wonder to myself where he would be now if he hadn't discovered magic or hadn't decided to uh, expand on his magic and really make it a craft and then a profession. So uh, I wonder how many of us are prompted all the time, see things on television, read about them online, hear about things your friend's doing, and never bother to think, well, what if that could be something that gives my life more purpose? What is? What if that's something that could be a business for me? You know, so... I personally didn't really start becoming the person I am now until our family's carnival went out of business. And I had to start that website midway marketplace to help other people sell used rides. And it's just like one, one time after another, learning new things, finding new things I was good at. Some of them I stunk at, but trying new things and learning new skills and meeting a lot of great people along the way. But I have to wonder what would have happened if I was still a carnival owner? Because I enjoyed being a carnival owner. I wasn't getting rich there either, but I enjoyed it. I felt like we were building something as a family. Uh, so I want, I'm wondering, you know, maybe as y'all were listening to this and it's finishing to wrap, wrap it up, think about those gentle nudges that you feel during your day or your week and think maybe that could be my next new hobby or maybe that could be a new business. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, you know, I have this uh, network, the What's Your Excuse Network, where I'm helping other podcasters or other people with disabilities start new podcasts and helping existing hosts grow their audiences. So I'm thinking, what if there are some hosts or, excuse me, some people with great stuff to share today that are listening to this who are thinking, you know, Max has a podcast and, you know, he's, he's not all that talented, but he makes it look kind of easy. Maybe I could do that. So I would love to talk to you. I hope you'll visit wyexcuse.com or send me an email to just ask at the bondblogger.net, which is still my email because so many people have it. Uh, you can go to the bondblogger.net to check out the podcast, which is what's your excuse. You can ask Alexa or Google to play. What's your excuse? Uh, you can listen to it on all the major podcast players, including Spotify and Amazon so I hope you'll check out the podcast. Please remember to review, rate, and share. And also, don't forget, I will be happy to give you a shout-out on my social media channels if you leave a rating or a review. I uh, do realize y'all have lots of things to spend your time on, so I appreciate you spending some time with me. I hope you don't. I hope you will think about my podcast hosting sponsor, Blueberry.com, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. Whether you're starting a new show or possibly looking for a, a new host for an existing one, you can't do any better than blubbery.com. And uh, do hope you will check out crystalcreekorganics.com. Uh, it's, I have really 
felt better and had more energy since uh, using some of their products to treat my knee pain. So I hope to check out crystalcreekorganics.com. Until next time, thank you and take care out there. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away to what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied and choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide. Oh, I will sail my vessel until the river runs dry.